Well, welcome, church, to Refresh. Close-ups of Jesus through the lens of Mark's gospel. That's what we're going to be studying for the next little while. Um, Not sermons, but devotional studies. The idea being that maybe we'll work our way through a text of Scripture a little more consistently than we have with past Wednesday nights, so that we all together kind of uh, form a pattern of how to study the Bible devotionally. And so it's kind of a, a learning experience for all of us. When you have a text, how do you feed your heart with it? How do you take practical lessons out of a text when you're going through it systematically and apply those lessons uh, to your life? There's a reason I chose um, close-ups of Jesus through the lens of Mark's gospel. The scriptures pronounce a, a, a special blessing when we focus our attention uh, intently in a, in a focused way on Jesus and his wonderful character and his saving work. I was, I was reading these words there. Paul wrote these in 2 Corinthians 3.18. He says, And we all with unveiled face, listen, beholding the glory of the Lord, okay? Focusing on Jesus through the lens of Mark's gospel. We all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So the promise is, you focus on Christ, you study Christ, beholding the glory of the Lord, and there's this transformation that's promised. You, you become like the Lord as you look intently at the Lord. That's, that's the promise. But there's something else from one degree of glory to another. I like that because here's what it says. So we're going to be studying Mark's gospel. We'll be doing it for a little while. And it's not like one study transforms your life. It's like one degree to another degree to another degree. In other words, we're being told that more happens when you study the life of Jesus. If you do it consistently, more happens than you might feel happening in any one particular moment. So, so the encouragement is to stay with it because um, the, the glory grows incrementally, gradually, as you focus your attention on the glory of the Lord. So we're going to be studying Mark's gospel, focusing on Jesus, and tonight we'll see. Hopefully, we'll just briefly go through the first chapter. So I have six thoughts focusing on Jesus from Mark's gospel, chapter one. Get your Bible, and let's work this through together. So the f- point number one is the, the importance of the gospel. Mark 1, 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so right away, Mark kind of announces the importance of everything he's going to be talking about in his 16 chapters. He, he's not writing about um, just the teaching of Jesus or Uh, It's not even just the ethics of Jesus or the parables of Jesus. No, Mark says, we're going to be talking about the gospel of Jesus. And and then he says, 
the Son of God. And so the big news is put right up front in Mark's gospel. Here's what the rest of the, of the gospel is going to be focusing on. Jesus Christ was, in fact, God the Son, God incarnate. So right away, Mark is saying, I'm not writing about another prophet, another teacher, another philosopher. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So the message starts with one truth that almost every other religion denies. Uh, the hardest truth to accept, the most demanding truth of the gospel, it's a stumbling block to the Jews, still is, foolishness to the Greek, to, to the Gentile world at large today, and yet this is the cornerstone of Mark's gospel. It's served right up front. Mark says, what we're focusing on is the gospel of Jesus, the Son of God. Next, point number two, we see this uh, explanation, this picture of John the Baptist. Verses two through eight, Mark writes, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, quote, prepare the way of the Lord and make his paths straight. And so John appeared, verse 4, baptizing in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That's the important phrase. Verse 5, and all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan and they're confessing their sins because it's a baptism for a repentant and the forgiveness of sins. So everyone's going out to John, being baptized, confessing their sins. Verse 6, now John was clothed with camel's hair. He wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached saying, verse 7, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Here's the significant thing about John. John comes before Jesus is on the scene. He says that in verse 5. He has an, an enormous following. People are going out to him. It's not convenient. He's not downtown Jerusalem. He's out in the boonies. He's out in the wilderness. People go out to meet him. And he proclaims, he proclaims the gospel of Jesus, the person of Jesus, long before he ever meets Jesus. And that's significant because, see, that, that's what we do. You haven't seen Jesus physically, nor have I seen Jesus physically. And, and it takes this great faith. Here's John. He sees the prophet Isaiah. It's quoted. And so he He's proclaiming the coming of Jesus before he ever sees Jesus. And notice the other thing here. Notice how John, he, he humbly bows off the scene when Jesus arrives. I'm not worthy to even untie his sandals. He's got this enormous following. So Mark lays down, in this picture of John the Baptist, Mark very quickly lays down 
the principle of living for the glory of another, living in the service of another. We need to remember that. Remember John, whenever, you know, our egos crave for attention. We love recognition, even in the body of Christ. Uh, Remember John, remember John. Point number three. Mark talks about the baptism of Jesus in verses 9, 10, and 11. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Remember, a baptism of forgiveness of sins, repentance and forgiveness of sins. Jesus was baptized by John in the Jordan, verse 10, and when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. It doesn't technically say a dove, but like a dove. Verse 11, and a voice came from heaven You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. So so Mark has already said in verse 4, John's baptism was for the forgiveness of sins. And immediately we're met to ask the question, why? Why? Why would Jesus have to be baptized? Why would the sinless son of God have to experience a baptism for the forgiveness of sins. And, and here's what we see. We see the depth of God's love and God's reach. Jesus comes on the scene, entering into our experience, but not entering into our experience at our best, but entering into our experience at our worst. No, he comes all, all the way down. So it's not on the basis of merit, with us at our best, it's on the basis of grace, with us in our sin, with us at our worst, with us at our point of failure and need. Notice also that there's this voice, the timing of the voice. It's it's as Jesus comes up out of the water, after this full identification with my sinfulness, that you hear the voice from heaven about how pleased the Father is, because the mission is underway. The goal is being accomplished. Why Jesus came, it's starting to be fulfilled right at that moment, and it's significant that that's where the Father. So you see, it's not like like God is out to get sinners and Jesus is loving and merciful. The Father is so pleased because this is the Father's heart and plan all along to reach us in our failure and in our need. The fourth thing, that Mark talks about is the temptation of Jesus. It's in verses 12 and 13. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. I find it so fascinating. The same spirit who comes down like a gentle dove now sends, actually, and the spirit immediately drove him. I'm not even, I wouldn't have even chosen those words. Drives Jesus into the wilderness. So 
many roles in the work of the Spirit and His plan for our lives. Maybe just tie a little ribbon around this point. We realize now the Spirit comes and descends on Jesus like a dove as He comes up out of the waters of baptism. Now the Spirit drives Him into the wilderness and He's tempted by Satan. And so maybe what Mark wants me to learn and wants you to learn is how how wrong it is to think that the Holy Spirit is with us in our times of blessing, in answered prayer, in ministry in the church, but somehow God is absent, the Spirit's absent when we're tempted and tried and things are difficult. And so maybe we're meant to see right away that it's the same Holy Spirit with Jesus in the waters of baptism, with Jesus being driven into the wilderness, not away from the Holy Spirit. His, his plan covers both types of experiences, his work, his sanctifying, Christ-glorifying work in our lives. It can take place in both kinds of circumstances. He's here to help us grow, and he can accomplish that. He can accomplish that in times that are sweet and times that are trying. Maybe that's something to remember right now. Do, do, do you think of the way the Holy Spirit is present working in our current situation. It's a great lesson from Mark's Mark's, uh, gospel. There's a longer portion, point number five, three prominent areas of Christ's ministry. And I'm going to try now to do verses 14 right to 31. So three prominent areas of Christ's ministry. First, he comes to proclaim a message I get that in 14 and 15. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? And saying the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. So here's the first thing we learn. Jesus comes on the scene, and and here's what we hear. All people, religious people. He was speaking to a lot of very religious people. All people need to uh, repent and believe the gospel. They have to repent, and they have to believe. So so there's this issue that, that Jesus puts right up front, this issue of personal sin and guilt before God, and uh, not as popular today, even in the church. So he's here to proclaim that message, 14 and 15. The second thing I see here is Jesus came to call out followers. I get that in verses 16 through 20. Let, let me just read these to you. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, they're fishermen. 17, and Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. There's the emphasis. 19, and going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called them. They left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and, and followed him. So Jesus came to call out followers. 
Um, there's something here so simple and so basic, and it applies to all of us today. Jesus wasn't looking for people who would agree with him. He was looking for people who would follow him. And those are two different things. I, I, can, I can agree with someone while following someone else. But I can't follow someone while I'm following someone else. And so to this day, one of the best definitions of a convert and a disciple is someone who, who leaves what they're presently pursuing to follow someone else. It's not enough to agree with Jesus. It's not enough to admire Jesus. The calling on our hearts is to follow Jesus. The third thing I see here is he came to minister with deep compassion. I get that in uh, 21 to 31. Mark writes and says, and they came into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. The scribes would quote their sources, where they got their teaching. Jesus spoke from his own authority. That's what amazed them. 23, and immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know you are the Holy One of God. Isn't it interesting? Right after the, the point we made previously about the importance of following Jesus, and I said it's not enough to agree with Jesus and know things about Jesus. You have to follow Jesus. Here's a demon who knows he's the Holy One of God. Not following him, though. 25. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out. And they were all amazed, 27. So that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread. That's Christ's fame. Spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And then these surprising words. 29. And immediately he left the synagogue, entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with fever and immediately they told him about her and he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up and the fever left her. And she began to serve them. He came to minister with compassion. Uh, the gospel might start with the proclaiming of a message, but it, it, it can't end there. And so truth has to be fleshed out. It has to be lived out. Principles demonstrated to the watching world around us. Lastly, point number six. Jesus and personal renewal. Look at verses 32 to 39. And that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. What, what would that have looked like? And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. We'll talk about that later on. 
35, and rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he, he departed. And he went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said, everyone's looking for you. He's got the whole city at his doorstep with their needs. Everyone is looking for you, 37. And then these surprising words, 38, and he said to them, let us go on to the next town that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues, casting out demons. And I, under this last point about personal renewal, we should be grateful for the example that Jesus left us because we get to see behind the scenes. Here's the whole city at his door. Jesus performing miracles. Everybody's amazed. Everyone's excited. There's the throng. There's the crowd pressing him. And, and you get Jesus slipping away, especially 37 and 38. There's all these needs there and you don't expect Jesus to leave. But he does. And so we're studying this devotionally. And here's what I see. Jesus knew that even he needed times of communion and prayer so that ongoing ministry would be fruitful and deep. If the visible part of my life is going to remain fruitful, the roots of my Prayer and communion with God have to go deep indeed. And it's just so significant to me that you see that in Jesus himself. And as you proceed through the gospel, you'll see it week by week. Mark will constantly record in the busiest of times or the most difficult of times, you'll see Jesus and what he's doing is the roots are going down. He's off alone and he's feeding his heart and his soul Oh, how we need constantly to have our souls restored like that. And how beautiful that Mark starts his gospel with a picture of Jesus teaching us this very lesson. Mark chapter 1. Let's pray. Oh, how we thank you for these precious lessons from the life of Jesus. We, we want to be beholding the glory of our Lord so that there can come transformation in our hearts from one degree of glory to another. Keep us, keep us in this time of distance, this time of separation. Keep our hearts united, devoted to your word, cherishing the glory of Jesus, and having our hearts transformed together. In his name I pray. Amen. Amen. Sunday morning, a lot of new stuff now. We're going to be we're starting a, a new series. We're going to be going through, uh, through the book of Philippians and uh, just the practical lessons of, of, of that book. Keeping your joy, the heartfelt theology of an isolated prisoner. Uh, we'll be studying that Sunday morning. Sunday night, just a little break. From APD, I'm not saying we'll never go back to it, but for a few weeks, I want to study the prophet Jonah. When life swallows you whole, 
it just seemed like such a practical study at this time, so we'll be doing that Sunday night. So three new series. Stay devoted to the Word and love one another. God bless you, church.